Hey, 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 what's up, everybody? This is Lindsay Lerner, and you're listening to The Cost of the Status Quo. More people than ever are questioning why they do what they do and forging their own path. And on this show, I sit down with these entrepreneurs, trailblazers, creatives, and overall awesome beings to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, and the overall tips and tricks they're using so that the rest of us can do the same. This is The Cost of the Status Quo. Hey, hey, welcome to The Cost of the Status Quo. Today, we are here with Lisa Steele. Lisa is a fifth-generation chicken keeper and expert. Lisa is the creative force behind Fresh Eggs Daily, the most popular destination for natural poultry keeping advice on the internet and one of the most influential players in the backyard chicken keeping community. This may or may not be your first time hearing of Lisa since she has been featured on The View, Martha Knows Best on HGTV, NPR's Here and Now, Dr. Oz, and the Hallmark Home and Family Show, just to name a few. Lisa shares recipes using fresh eggs from her coop and fresh produce and herbs from her gardens on her farm in central Maine that she shares with her husband, their corgi, tuxedo cat, and a mixed flock of nearly three dozen chickens, geese, and ducks. Today, Lisa is here to share a bit about her journey and the tips, tricks, and habits that she's learned along the way to become a successful author, entrepreneur, and television host. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. It would mean the world to me if you subscribed, rated, and reviewed this. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for making the time to be here. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. We'll dive on in all the way back to the beginning. Could you give us a little insight on where you grew up and what that experience was was like for you? Yeah. So uh, sort of the thumbnail version is I grew up in central Massachusetts in a teeny tiny town. My grandparents had a chicken farm. So across the street from my house was my grandparents' chicken barn and, you know, hundreds of chickens and everything. So, you know, I had chickens growing up. I was in 4-H, you know, that kind of deal. Like a lot of small town kids, I realized there was a big world out there. So I went to college in Rhode Island to be an accountant, which looking back, I don't know what I was thinking. Although in retrospect, it's a really good background for running a business. So I was an accountant for for a bunch of years. I moved to uh, Long Island and I worked on Wall Street for a bunch of years. And, you know, it was fun and exciting. And I was young and like that whole deal. But you burn out really quickly. I mean, it's just... It's a lot. Was there any any pressure family-wise to, to be an accountant or did you decide that? No, absolutely not. So if you want to know the, the down and dirty. So I originally wanted to be a hairdresser. I like cut all my doll's hair and my mom just got so annoyed because, you know, she was buying me dolls. I was cutting their hair. And then she said, you know, there's a lot of chemicals involved. I mean, it was like the 70s, right? So there were perms and things. And, you know, she was like, there's a lot of chemicals involved. You'd be standing on your feet. So you might want to rethink that. So then I decided I wanted to be the person that took the photos on the friendlies menu. If you grew up in New England, you know, friendlies, right? Amazing. And they had these glossy menus with like (laughs) ice cream sundaes and banana splits and tuna melts. And so like, I wanted to do that like way before food photographer was even a thing. And I don't know what happened with that, but I, and I honestly didn't remember that until very recently, but it it kind of is like foreshadowing, you know, where, I, I mean, I've heard it say like, whatever you wanted to be when you were five or six years old, that's what you should be because that's like your true self. That's your passion. That's whatever. So anyway, that didn't pan out. So then the guidance counselors, you know, were talking to us in high school and, you know, I was a girl. And so they were like, you can be a nurse, you can be a secretary, you can be a teacher. Both my parents were teachers. And I mean, they had the summers off. They had every holiday known to man off. They were home by three o'clock. So I don't know why I didn't want to be a teacher, but that wasn't my thing. So I didn't want to be any of that. 
But this really cute guy in high school that I had a huge crush on was going to go be a pharmacist. And I was like, I'll be a pharmacist. I'll go to school with him, right? Like, that would be great. So I think the guidance counselor realized that I wasn't exactly, you know, there for the right reasons, so to speak. And somehow, I don't know how, but I ended up going to school for accounting. I mean, I think in my mind, it made sense. Like, I'm sort of a logical person with like a creative flair, but like, you know, you do accounting, you're an accountant, whatever. Like if you go to school for like marketing or management, like what does that look like? You get out of school and you're a marketer. Like it was too fuzzy for me. And I think that under, like accounting was something I, I understood, like the path. So you get your degree as an accountant, you spend time as an accountant and what was going on in the background? Were you still close with your family? Were you still going up to the farm? I did actually. So I was working on Wall Street and living on Long Island. I used to drive up. It's like three hours, you know, to drive to, to see my parents and stuff. I not only was an accountant, I got my CPA license. I studied for the exam. I passed that. got my CPA license. I studied for the Series 27, which is like the Wall Street financial controller type exam. Studied for that, passed that, got that. I was a hardcore accountant. So I was working at Morgan Stanley. I got to work one day and I sat down and I just looked around at like the ticker tape and all the the guys in their suspenders and like the whole deal. And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. So I just like folded up my newspaper, put my sneakers back on, walked out, went to Penn Station, took the train home, called my boss from Penn Station. He wasn't in yet. I left a voicemail and told him I quit. Like I was just, I was done. I was like, done with Wall Street. Was there any like cognitive process that you went through at that moment? Or was it just, this is what my gut is telling me, I'm done? Yeah, my gut was like, you're done. You're not doing this anymore. So I I decided to open a bookstore. Like I had, so, I mean, we got paid a lot of money. You know, it was the 80s. There was a lot of money flying around Wall Street, right? So I had some money. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to open a bookstore, like right by the train station. Everyone reads. There was no internet. There was no, you know, cell phones, whatever. So I was like, I'll just open a bookstore under the train station and sell books to people who were commuting. And it was great. I did that for like, I don't know, seven or eight years. And I absolutely loved it. Did you always have a passion for books and literature or was it just something that was the antithesis of Wall Street? <laughs> yeah, well, right. It was like, no, it was the, um, I did. So my mom, you know, being a teacher, when my brother and I got in trouble, usually for fighting, she would send us and we would have to sit in a corner where there was a bookshelf and we had to sit there and read like that was our punishment, which she said, you know, afterwards, that probably wasn't the best thing to like reinforce positive reading habits. But like we both loved reading so much that like she'd be like, you're done. You can come out. And we were like, no, we're good. We're reading in a weird way. It worked, but it shouldn't have. But I have the same same vision of of having a coffee shop at some point, just because that's what I would like to do. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I loved it. I loved talking to people about the books. I loved deciding, you know, what to stock. I just, I loved the whole thing. I loved doing the window displays. So the accounting part of it definitely came in handy. I mean, you know, cause I knew how to run a business. I knew about profit margins and cost of goods sold and I could do my own taxes. And there were a lot of benefits that did come in handy. So then I was on this track and I was loving it. The store was great. It was, it was doing really well. And then I met my husband and he was in the Navy, stationed in Florida. So we ended up getting married and I actually sold the bookstore. You're in Florida at this point, married, 
unemployed, have 800 different certifications and degrees in accounting, all of this experience, having run an incredible bookstore. And then what happens? Two years, I basically just like dropped out. Like I didn't, I mean, I was a newlywed, right? So like I, I cooked amazing dinners and kept the house and like I did that whole thing. So then he got transferred to Virginia after two years. And we moved to this cute little farm kind of out in the country. He had horses in Florida, but he boarded them. Cause obviously when you're in the Navy and you're going out on ships, you can't like, you have to have someone take care of your horses. So like his dream had been to have the horses like board them at our house. And when you look at what it costs to board two horses, you can put that towards the mortgage, you know, and come out way ahead. It's not cheap to board horses. So we did that. We looked for a, a place that had, it was six acres that had a little fenced in pasture, a little barn. It was just like the cutest little farm. So we moved there and I was bored, of course, and didn't want to be an accountant, not realizing like the impact, you know, my husband said it was 2009. So people were homesteading and it was a recession and, you know, people were thinking about chickens and, you know, a guy at work that my husband worked with had just gotten chickens. And so I wanted goats. I thought goats would just be like so cute and they could run around the pasture. And my husband hated the idea of goats and said, let's get chickens. So I was like, seriously, I had chickens as a kid. Like I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of chickens. You know, I already did that, but I was like, all right, I'll say yes to the chickens and whatever, you know, then we'll just add the goats. He'll never even notice whatever. So we went to the feed store. We got six baby little chicks. And I mean, honestly, that was like when the ball just kind of like rolled off the top of the cliff and the next 12 years have just been like this, <laughs> what I do now. It's a long way down the open road, but I've got my shoes tied on tight. No fear in my eyes. Did all of your previous knowledge from when you were growing up just flood back in and you knew how to do it? Or did you have to go through some sort of research training? You know, I think you have an idea of, of me. I read like every book I could find. I subscribed to every chicken magazine. Like I went, you know, 110%. But I started answering questions on Facebook and, you know, because I was posting my chicken pictures and people were asking questions. And I realized that I knew more than I, you know, realized my grandmother was still alive actually at that point. She, she lived to be 99 years old. So I would go visit and like talk to her, you know, about her chickens. And she loved that. She really loved that. So I tried to do things kind of like the way she would have, like, you know, old fashioned and, you know, no chemicals and, you know, all that kind of stuff, like all natural, whatever. But I found that the books and things that I was reading, there wasn't really a lot of that out there. So I started, you know, researching herbs and natural supplements and all this natural stuff. And, you know, I ended up writing my first book in 2013, um, basically to fill that void because there wasn't kind of the, the advice out there was like, buy a chicken, feed it, collect the eggs. If it gets sick, it's probably going to die. You could give it antibiotics and then just buy another chicken. And I was like, not really feeling that. Like that's, I'm more into like preventives and like thinking about how, you know, we raise our other animals and how we raise our family. Like you take natural supplements and you try to build your immune system and stay healthy and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. So the first book just like took off. I mean, it was something that I think people who were raising chickens really wanted to hear and wanted to read and they wanted to, you know, implement all these practices and things because it was a little different. Totally. And was that the first indication of of success? We put the book out there, it hits hits the shelves, sales, what a win. And then what was the the rest? 
Yeah. So my Facebook page was also growing because those were the Facebook days, you know, when I had a YouTube channel, I started a blog really just to, you know, kind of archive a lot of things that people were asking me. And a couple months into blogging, because blogging was still fairly new, somebody said to me, you know, companies will pay you to put ads on your blog. And uh, like a light bulb went off. I was like entrepreneur mode on. Um, And I started, you know, taking ads, you know, like $10 a month. I mean, it wasn't a lot, you know, but it was like a way to start. And so that, and I started like having all these income streams coming in. So I wrote like, like almost a book a year for the next couple of years. And then I think I was on my third book and we decided that my husband could retire. You know, I was making enough money that, you know, I could support us. So he retired. We moved to Maine, which he had always, he grew up in Massachusetts also and went to Maine Maritime. And we just knew we wanted to end up back in New England. And we just both really loved the idea of Maine. It's a lot more affordable than Massachusetts. It's a lot less crowded. So we, he was at work knowing he was quitting and I was at home and we would find listings online and like send them back and forth to each other, you know, and be like, do you like this? Do you like that? Whatever. And it took about two years before we found this listing and he went up to see it. You know, I stayed home with the animals, you know, I'd seen pictures online and stuff. He loved it. So we put it in an offer and we bought it in March of I think 2015, I never even saw it until we packed up and moved that August. So it was kind of like sight unseen. We just bought a house. Cranking out a book a year. That's impressive. Is there any, on the personal side of things, were there any like daily habits or routines that you were able to build around cranking out that much work and that much energy and that much effort to not only, I mean, you have not only a book a year, but then you just said you're curating YouTube content, blog content, all of all of these different bits and, and pieces. How is that? How is that possible? <laughs> yeah. So, well, my first two books were kind of easy because it was Fresh Eggs Daily and Duck Eggs Daily. And it was basically my blog rewritten into book form, which it does take rewriting. There's there's a different format and style, but the content was all there. So those two books kind of flowed pretty easily. And again, as you've probably realized, I'm like a super type A you know, plus, plus, plus. (laughs) So if I'm not busy, I get super bored really easily. So, you know, it it was a routine, like wake up, get my coffee, read my email, check social, post something, go out, feed the chickens, come in, you know, and then I pretty much had the rest of the day to, you know, write or whatever. And the funny thing about books is that it's a lot, a lot, a lot. And then it's like waiting because like you turn in your manuscript and then you're just like, waiting for it to come back and then you edit it and then it's waiting for the formatting and then you have the photo shoot and then it's waiting and choosing the photos. So there's like, there's periods where you're crunching and then it's a break. So it's kind of easy to work, you know, among that, you know, and I schedule stuff out, like I'll sit there in the evening, like two or three nights with a glass of wine and I'll just schedule out Facebook for the entire month. You know, basically it's like set it and forget it. I rarely visit there. (laughs) I just, schedule it out. And I'm like, just let it do its thing, you know, and a lot of it, a lot of it at this point is passive income. Also, you know, my blog gets a ton of organic traffic. That's just Google rankings. You know, I'm not necessarily pushing the posts out, although I do, but, you know, I'm trying to set up as much of it as I can to be, you know, passive income. Like once you have your YouTube videos out there, they're earning you money. So there's that. And then the books, obviously, once they come out, you know, it's a royalty check every year without any more additional work. So 
you know, over the years, you kind of stack these things on top of each other. And then you can pull back from like really trying to work it every single day, you know, and I don't do, I don't do a lot of sponsored stuff. I don't do influencer stuff. I've tried working with brands and the hoops that you have to jump through and the deadlines to earn your measly little, you know, $200 or whatever it is. I mean, I I give influencers a lot of credit because you're like at at the mercy of these brands and the stuff that they expect, you know, and if that was my only income stream, I would have to basically take every offer I got and I would burn out so fast. Okay, brands are chasing you. And then is that when you decide to create your own brand instead and your own products? So I tried a couple of co-branding deals where, you know, a product I liked or a product I had an idea for, I would work with a, another brand and we would sort of co-brand it. it that was, this was even before like the collabs with the X, you know, it was like whatever. And honestly, it just never worked because if you watch Shark Tank, you know that these things, you get like a 7% licensing fee or something like that out of it. And honestly, I started thinking and I was like, but I could just create my own brands and then I could keep all the profit. You know, instead of 7%, maybe I'd have a 20% or a 30% profit margin. And I didn't feel like I needed the other brands behind me to sell the products. So uh, yeah, I, I started working with a manufacturer and created my own brand, which is on Chewy and Amazon. And we had a little stumble because the manufacturer actually shut down. They went out of business after like 80 years. But some of the former employees merged and started basically a new company. They leased the building, they bought all the equipment. And so we're back on track. So a couple of months there were kind of kind of dicey, but we put it all back together and we're actually coming out with some new products. We're coming out with a natural first aid line for chickens, which I'm super excited about. Um, and a couple more feed supplements and things. It's really fun because I get to, and again, like co-branding, it was you know, that company's brand with like my name on it or my picture on it. But here, like I completely design the packaging. I decide the ingredients. I mean, not completely because I'm not a, you know, biophysicist or whatever the heck these people are. But, you know, they give me like a list and they're like, which things would you like to include, you know, and and think of the names and like the whole deal of it. So that's been super fun. And when you're doing product development, was that influenced? I know at the beginning you had said that your your parents were around in the 70s. And a lot of that was what inspired the natural and organic and you know pesticide free and antibiotic free, et cetera, et cetera. Is that now what you've baked into these products to show your users a different path to what's out there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, it just, you know, I cringe when, when people are giving their chickens antibiotics or medications or chemicals or spraying them with something for, you know, fleas or whatever, because like we're eating their eggs. I mean, we don't even use chemicals on our cat and our dog, you know, and especially with chickens where you're eating what they're producing. Like it's kind of like growing a garden and then spraying it with Roundup. Like, what's the point? You might as well just go to the grocery store, you know, like I don't understand raising chickens and then using chemicals like intuitively. It doesn't make any sense. I just would not feel comfortable at all. And there's no need to. I mean, we've had chickens now for 12 years. We have had ducks. We just lost Gregory, our our Drake. He had just turned 12 years old. We've had chickens that have lived 10 and 11 years. You know, they're never sick. Like, you don't need to use chemicals to keep your animals healthy. I firmly believe that. Same with people. You know, there there's 
so much you can do for your immune system and, you know, preventive and to keep yourself like your best defense against anything is a strong immune system. Like that's what our immune system is for. Right. Are there any specific, whether it's it's supplements or anything like that, that you would recommend not only to us as, as humans, but to anybody who's raising animals as well? Yeah. And it, it's funny because so my mom, yes, she she has been like a health nut. Like she used to send us to school with, you know, all natural peanut butter on hardtack, you know, when everybody else was eating Jif on white bread. And I would like usually throw my lunch away. But now looking back, I was like, oh, my God, she was like so ahead of her time. Like, that's what everybody should have been eating, you know. But when you're a kid and everyone's eating Jif and marshmallow fluff, you're just like, why do I have to eat natural peanut butter where the oil separates, you know. But yeah, she's still like that. And she'll call me up and she'll be like, oh, I just made the greatest thing. I took, you know, some quinoa and some kale and some sweet potatoes. And I'm like, hold on, I'm writing this down. And she's like, oh, yeah, it was really, really good. And I'm thinking to myself, I want to make this for my chickens. Like, <laughs> they're going to love this. <laughs> Gourmet meals. Yeah, the chickens definitely eat better than we do. I'm not such a huge fan of like all the natural food stuff. I mean, I try to eat, you know, well, whatever. But my mom definitely eats, you know, she eats tofu and she eats all the grains you've never heard of and, you know, all this weird stuff. Does she ever help you with any of the the recipes that end up in your books? She, yeah, she actually did. She, well, as soon as she knew that I was, you know, writing a, a cookbook, an egg cookbook, she would send me, you know, being a mom, she would send me envelopes just full of egg recipes that she had cut out of magazines or ripped out of a cookbook or she saw on the kitchen or the Food Network or whatever. So a couple of them did actually get into the book. For folks who are egg eaters, when you're going through the grocery store, and this is this is something I've talked about with a lot of folks, when you're in the grocery store, could you shine some light on what all of these different variations of possible eggs that you could purchase are, whether it's free range, pesticide free, organic, et cetera, et cetera. And what if you have a specific recommendation other than, you know, coming to your farm and purchasing eggs directly from you that we could we could get close to? So I don't buy eggs often, but when I'm in the grocery store, sometimes I do look just to see what's out there, you know, and it is nice to see a lot more brands that seem a lot more conscious of not only the quality of the egg, but the quality of the chicken's life. So there's so much on the carton that you can just disregard, like all natural. I mean, all eggs are natural, right? Farm fresh means nothing. Fresh means nothing. Local doesn't even really mean anything. I think to be considered local, the egg has to have traveled like under 400 miles or something. But I mean, to me, 400 miles is not really local. Cage free is really no better than caged because all they do is they take all the chickens in the little teeny cages, they open the cages, they let all the chickens run around a warehouse. So they're pecking at each other, they're stepping in poop, they're laying their eggs wherever. There's actually a higher mortality rate in cage-free chicken barns than the cage. Like they're actually safer in the cages, but it's not life for a chicken. So all free range means is that those chickens in the warehouse have a little door that they can go outside and outside might just be a concrete pad. You know, it's not like a beautiful field or whatever. And they've done studies and, you know, a huge percentage of the chickens never find that little door in their whole entire life. So what you really want to look for is pasture raised. Pasture raised means that those chickens are outside on pasture, whether it's, you know, woods or, or fields or whatever, every day, weather permitting, locked up at night so they're safe, but they're actually kind of like living a true 
chicken life. So you want to look for pasture raised. If eating organic is important to you, absolutely look for organic eggs, but know that organic speaks more to the diet of the chicken. A little bit about their treatment, but not completely. So just because eggs are organic doesn't mean that the chicken is like super happy. You know, like they can still trim their beaks so they don't peck at each other. And there's some other things. So, but if, if, if an organic diet's important to you, absolutely. So organic pasture raised, that combination together and certified humane. If eggs are stamped with the certified humane sticker, that means that the chickens are being treated like as close to perfect as possible. Pretty much everything else you can ignore. Chickens are not allowed to be given hormones. So if it says hormone free, that's a crock. If it says vegetarian fed, chickens are not vegetarians. They'll eat lizards and toads and mice and each other. So vegetarian eggs are not really something that you should be looking for either. (laughs) You're blowing my mind right now. So now everyone knows when they go to the grocery store, after they buy your book, one, one of your many cookbooks, they can now go to the grocery store and purchase the correct eggs to truly get the full the full experience other than raising their own chickens. Exactly. And the pasture-raised chickens, the eggs are going to be, you know, a little bit more nutritious because those chickens are out eating in grass and weeds and bugs. And, you know, they're not in a little cage eating like their little bowl of corn or whatever. So they have a more varied diet, which is is also better. Yeah. Oh, and omega-3. If it does say, you know, omega-3, that means that the chickens have been fed omega-3s, which do translate right into the eggs. So that is a little bit of added nutrition that, you know, if that's important to you, that's something to look for as well. Totally. Ugh. I've learned more in in the last five minutes than in a long time. That's very helpful. You've got the cookbooks, you've got the blog. I mean, you can find a plethora of information on your website. You've got YouTube channel, Instagram, socials, all of the things. And now on top of it, you have your own TV show? Yes. That came about, it's been in a few different forms. It started out locally just here in Maine. It was on NBC in Maine for two years. And then public television approached me about putting it on public television which we did. So it started airing last April, I believe, or this past April. So it's on over 300 public television stations, Create TV, and it's also streaming on Passport. So it's called Welcome to My Farm. It's a half hour and it's kind of a day in the life. You know, I might go out and do some gardening or hang out with my chickens. And then I might go to a neighboring farm to pick strawberries or get our Christmas tree or, you know, get some lobster, whatever the heck I'm doing. And then I come back, I cook something. It's like doing a little movie, like the film crew comes here and, you know, we, we have like our little segments set out and it's all, it's not scripted because mostly because I cannot memorize lines to save my life. Um, So it's all kind of free form and they edit it and put it together into something that's very cohesive and just really lovely to watch. You know, I've had a lot of people, tell me they don't even have chickens. They never ever in a million years want to have chickens, but they still enjoy the show because it's just, it's relaxing and entertaining and they might, you know, learn a little something or whatever. So it's won five telly awards and it was nominated for two regional Emmy awards. When opportunities are placed in front of you or you're creating an opportunity for yourself, what is that filtering mechanism that you use to decide this is it for me versus "Mm, I'm okay? 
I, I think it is a lot of, you know, trusting your gut. And I do believe things happen for a reason. So I'm awful at public speaking. And when my first book came out, especially my publisher said, you have to go to these fairs, you have to start, you know, giving presentations and talks and, you know, speaking. And I did it and I hated it. And I felt like I was going to throw up and it was just awful. And so I just kept doing it and doing it. And finally, it was just this summer I was asked to speak at a like a business entrepreneurial type thing here in Bangor to a, a group. And I said yes. And like a week before, and this is so horrible, and I hope none of them are listening. A week before, I said, you know what? Like, I'm at a point in my life where I don't have to do things that I don't want to do. And this is causing me so much stress. And I'm I'm just like, I'm hating life right now because I have this thing. So I called them up and I told them we had a death in the family and I couldn't speak. And I mean, in my defense, my mother-in-law's cat did die and she was coming to stay with us because she was like super distraught. I mean, like you would have thought she lost her husband all over again. So we did have my mother-in-law coming. She was going to be staying with us at the time I was supposed to be giving this speech. So I, I fudged a little, but I learned my lesson. And I said, you know what? Now, if I'm asked to public speak again, I'm just going to say no, because I hate doing it. And I, I, don't, I don't have to do things that I, I hate doing. And it's kind of like beer, like in college. Oh, have a beer, have a beer. You'll get used to the taste. Four years of college, I never got used to the taste. And I feel like public speaking is the same way. No, I'm not going to get used to it. Before we wrap up, we do ask every guest two questions. What is the worst piece of advice that you've ever gotten? And what is the best piece of advice that you've ever gotten? Okay, so the best piece of advice, I'll start with P. Allen Smith, who you might be familiar with. He lives in Arkansas. He's kind of like the Martha Stewart of the South. You know, he gardens and his animals. He has chickens. Um, he had invited me to his farm a couple of times and we got to be close. And I was on his TV show a couple of times. And right about the time when I was coming down to be on his TV show, this hate group had started against me on Facebook, which actually still exists. But anyway, so I was kind of talking to him about that before we started filming. And he said to me, he said, there is no one who ever achieves any level of success that does not have haters. I mean, it's just, it's sad, but it's our society's way to tear people down who are successful. And he said, people who are failures, nobody hates them because there's no point. So he said, you, you know, you've kind of reached a level of success when people hate you. And he said, the worst thing is for people to be ambivalent. If people love you, they're also going to hate you. The, the worst thing is that nobody cares. So I thought that was really insightful. And it like really helps when, you know, you read like super nasty, hateful things and realize it's just a small percentage of like super unhappy people. So I think the worst advice, and this is, I mean, it's probably minor, but I'm on Blogger, which is a free Google blog platform, right? Because I started my blog. It was a hobby. I didn't, you know, think anything was going to come of it. So my husband, someone who worked for him, because he was in IT, someone who worked for me, him set up my blog, you know, it was free. I wasn't, wasn't going to invest a lot in it, whatever. So I'm on Blogger. So now 12 years later, I'm still on Blogger. I still have other bloggers and blogger groups say to me, you know, if you want to be taken seriously, you really need to be on WordPress to make money. You really need to be on, on WordPress. And I'm like, I earned a million dollars last year. How much more money do I need? So I'm on this free blogger platform and, but I mean, I hear it all the time. It's like, I can't tell you how many, even friends of mine who like kind of know like what I do and they have like a little more of an inside look. And they're like, you know, you really should be on WordPress. 
So yeah, that's the worst piece of advice I've ever gotten. Hey, going against the grain and it worked out. So that's what we're here for. That's the whole point of this podcast. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, and everyone has their own path. Like, you know, you're never going to get anywhere by copying somebody else. Like if you think of the successful people, you know, they each have their own identity and brand and face and voice. And like, you can't, you, you just have to be your own person. Thank you so much for being here. And listeners, we will have all, all of Lisa's tips and tricks and links all in the show notes. So you can track her down, get the cookbook, watch the show, do all the things. Who knows? Maybe you'll be inspired to raise your own chickens. Let me know if you do. We're here for it. So thank you so much again, Lisa, for being here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to The Cost of the Status Quo and learning the wisdom, stories, and ideas that will have you feeling inspired and ready to take on the world. If you've enjoyed this, please remember to share, rate, and review. It means the world to me and the team putting it all together. If you're looking for more information, you can find us at costofthestatusquo.com or on Instagram at costofthestatusquo. If you've got any questions or curiosity about me, you can find me at lindsaylearner.com. That's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-L-E-R-N-E-R.com or on Instagram at lindsaylearner. Thanks again for listening. Hope you have an awesome day.